Let me turn my mic on. I'm sorry. You know, when you talk about the mark of the beast and the beast and the worship of the beast and the number of the beast, it's not a hard topic to understand, but it's a hard topic because it steps on some toes. Um, you have to expose things that you would wish weren't, weren't true. And so um, as we go through this, I just want to, everything I say, I want to say it in a respectful, kind way because it's the way it should be done. Even when the Bible speaks out against certain powers in our world, we're still trying to reach people. And God warns us of these things because he, he loves us. So with that in mind, let us have a word of prayer. Our Father, we know that everything written in this book points to your perfect character. And it points to the great controversy between good and evil. And we know that we're the prize. You want us, but Satan wants us too. And so, Father, help us, give us wisdom from above to see the struggle that's taking place on planet Earth. And help us to understand that every one of us, individually, we need to make decisions. But may our decisions always be in favor of your word, in favor of your kingdom. And so, Father, as we go through this study, we just want to leave it in your hands as you guide each heart, each mind. May it always be heavenward and instill in us that beautiful character of Christ. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, there's a lot of ideas about the number of the beast. Is it a barcode on the things you buy? Uh, does it represent something else? Um, the number of someone's name. Count the number. Uh, the number of the beast. So we're going to have to talk about those things. But let's go ahead and read this verse again. Let's look at the words. Um, carefully. And the first word is count. Now, you will learn in this sermon that that word can mean one of two things. Count, like one, two, three, four, five, six, add it all up. Or to calculate. Understand the relationship between things. The things taking place in our world. Calculate it, count it. Okay? Because God has given us signs to know when things are real. Okay? Count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a what? Of a man. And his number is 603 score and 6. A lot of different sermons, a lot of different books on this topic. The first thing we want to recognize, and where do I point it? This way? So turning it on is key, right? So There are two beasts in this chapter. Now, as we go back to that first verse we looked at, it doesn't say first or second. It just says beast. Everybody see that? just says beast. But in this chapter, there are two beast powers. Is that right? There's the first ten verses that talks about a power that ruled for 42 months. 42 months is 160 days. But in Bible prophecy, a day represents a year. So in history, there is only one power that ruled for exactly 1,260 years. 
And that power is? It is the papacy. Okay? It is the papacy. And all the rest of the descriptions fit as well. And it's not that some of the descriptions of the first beast don't fit other powers, but there's only one where all the descriptions fit. This, just this one power. But there's also a second beast, chapter Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. And it's a completely different kind of power, but it's going to wind up in the end doing the same kinds of things. Okay? Um, but this power, again, all the descriptions only fit one power. We're looking for something that would arise around 1798, when the first beast is receiving its deadly wounds, something that would arise out of the earth in the new world, something that would actually possess the power to cause everybody to worship a certain way. Or even provide an economic boycott on the world, said, you can't buy and sell. doesn't matter which nation you're from or where you live. This power has the power to control economics completely throughout the whole world. And that power is it's the United States. These are the only powers that fit this description. Um, and this we have to have right, because we will not know the number of the beasts if we don't get the beast right. Amen. Okay? So these are the two powers. These, these ultimately are our two options. The only option, there's not three beasts. Amen. There's just two. So our study shouldn't be too complicated. All we have to do is plug in the first beast and then plug in the second beast, and Amen. it should make sense, right? Just let the Bible explain itself. So let's look at the little larger context of the number of the beast. I do want you to notice that it's, it falls in this section of the second beast. Not that the, this section doesn't talk about the first beast. It obviously does. But it is in the context of the, this power of the second beast, the United States, what it's able to cause people to do. And notice that it's in the context of people not being able to buy and sell. I want you to just notice the context. So Revelation 13, 6 through, 16 through 18. And he, the second beast, the United States, causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, doesn't matter if it's a rich nation, poor nation, free, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads. It's the only nation that can actually do that. And remember, a beast in Bible prophecy represents a political power, a nation. So this is the only nation that can do this, that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, you notice that, that it's associated with buying and selling. So there's going to come a time when all the parts of prophecy were told, this power, this power, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, where all of it's going to culminate to a point in the future where God's people can't buy and sell. That's not true today, but at some point all the parts will come together and right now, all the parts are out there. Yes. There's a first beast, there's a second beast. All the parts are there. Yes. It's just putting it all together. Okay? Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count. I could mean add up. Count the number of the beast. For it's the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. Okay? So, I want us to first consider what the early Christians would have understood this verse to mean. Uh, they probably didn't understand it at all because it was basically 2,000 years in the future. But there's things they could have understood prophetically. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, I mean, 
there's this rise and fall of empires. And so they knew that the lion was Babylon, and they knew the bear was Medo-Persia in this vision. They knew the leopard was Greece, right? And they were living in the time of the fourth beast. But they knew that the fourth beast, Rome, wasn't the end of history, right? They knew that after the fourth beast, Rome, there would come a little horn power that would speak great words against God, and that even after that, there'd be a judgment. And then after the judgment, then God's people inherit the kingdom. Is this true? So they would have understood part of this vision. But based on Paul's writings, and I think in the early church, they knew that the little horn, though they would have never known the word papacy, they'd have never known the word Roman Catholic Church, which is this first piece, little horn, they would have never known those names. They would have never known the name Pope or anything. But they knew that it represented the Antichrist power that was coming. They would have known that, that after Rome would be this little horn power. Then they also would have noticed that the little horn has the same description as the first beast. Even again, even though they had no word, Roman Catholic Church, papacy, pope, or anything like that, at least they knew this first beast was going to come after the fall of what? The Roman Empire. They could have figured that. They could have figured that much out. But the second beast? (laughs) There'd be no possibility of them comprehending in the United States in the first century, right? They didn't even know the the new world existed over here. They didn't know anything even about North America. Okay? So, as time goes on, we come to the Reformers, and you get people like Martin Luther, who lived in the 1500s. Did he know who the first beast was? Absolutely. And Reformers before him. And 100%, I think it was 100%, they all agreed. The first beast is the, is the papacy. But Martin Luther had no idea who the second beast was. There's no way he would have known. There's no United States. The British aren't even over here. Right? And so um, there's no way he knew what the second beast. In fact, Martin, Martin Luther figured Christ wasn't coming at least 300 years after his time. And he was not too far off. Okay? But that's what he calculated. That's what he figured as he saw the movements and the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, And that's what we have to do. We have to watch the general consistent movements of things taking place in our world to know where we stand. Okay, But then you get to John Wesley, 1754. And like all the Protestant reformers, he knew the papacy was the first beast. But he says in 1754, he says, you know, the second beast, he didn't know who the second beast was, but he said he can't be far off because he's to appear at the end of the 42 months, which he knew would end around 1798. So he's writing this in 1754, and we have our revolution in 1776. So in 1754, there's no way he would have known the United States. We were simply 13 colonies under British control. Is this true? But he did know, based on the general tending of history and the fulfillment of prophecy, that the second beast was, he's coming. He's coming. You better watch out. Second beast is going to come, and you know what he's going to do? Eventually, he's going to talk like our dragon. He's going to get everybody to worship that he knew was the papacy. These are things that he knew. But J.N. Andrews was a pioneer of the Advent movement, and he was the first person to put into print And he did this in 1851, that the first beast is the papacy and the second beast is the United States. The first person. 
So this is written around 96 AD with John on the Isle of Patmos. And nobody understood who the second beast was until 1,400, 1,500 years later. But that tells you that we're in the what? We're in the last days, friends. And an understanding of this passage is for people living in the end of time. You agree? Now, I'm going to put in the the first piece of papacy, because that is the most predominant teaching within God's remnant church, and fairly popular had been throughout Protestantism. Okay? Because look what it says again in Revelation 13, 17, and 18. And no man might buy or sell, this is obviously a serious situation, save he that had the mark of the beast or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So what we understand from that phrase is that you couldn't buy or sell unless somehow you had the mark of the beast or the name of the beast, and that name of the beast would show some sort of ownership or something over you by the beast that will allow you to buy or sell. Somehow the number would somehow be something that would show that you belong to the beast so you could buy and sell. Okay? Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, or count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man and his number six hundred three score and six. So I want to focus on the word count from the perspective of calculating numbers. Because the word can mean that. That's maybe its uh, most obvious interpretation of the word count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay? So we're going to be counting numbers. But it's not the only definition for this word. I want you to keep that in mind. Now, it is the number of the beast, and let's say that's the papacy, it's the number of the beast, and it's a number of a man. So if I was to ask you, who's the man? Who's the man for the papacy? That would be the Pope. Does the Pope have a name? He has a name. And that name is Vicarious D, which means Vicar of the Son of God. And all those letters have numerical values, or some don't, but some do. And if you take the title, you take his name, and you add it up, you come up with 666. Okay? And that is the general understanding of the number of the beast, that it is the number of a man, it's the number of the beast, it's the number of a man, and it's the number of his name. Okay? But what's in a name? Does God just want us to do some Sudoku or, you know, just kind of keep our minds active, do a little bit of adding? Or does the name mean something? Is there a reason to come up with a name and add it up? And wouldn't it be the meaning of the name that's really important? God's not checking our arithmetic, is he? It would be a matter of finding a name that adds up to 666 that means something. Now, names mean things in the Bible. Okay? And vicarious feel ID means vicar of the Son of God, but it actually could also be translated a substitute for the Son of God. Now that becomes more important than my arithmetic. Because if there's someone on the planet who's pretended to be a substitute for Christ, 
that instead of going to Christ for forgiveness of sins, you go to a man, there's a problem. And you have to count that. And I don't mean count in numbers, but the second definition of count, you got to calculate that. you got to ask yourself. you got to count it up, add it up. Am I going to... Am I going to submit to the authority of a man who says he's God on earth and has the authority of God above God's authority himself? But you know, people are going to do that in the end. People are going to be calculating. They're going to be counting. And some, most, are going to count the wrong way. When they add it all up, and I don't mean just add his name, when they're making their calculations and then adding it all up, If I don't worship this beast, if I don't go by man's law, and this man passed this law, I won't be able to buy and sell. Because that's what the context is. I can't buy and sell. I can't put gas in my car. I can't put food in my refrigerator. I can't buy any heating oil. I have no way to go to a hospital if I'm sick. People are going to have to start counting. What are you going to do? Is that right? That's what's going to happen. But a name has to do with character. So... When we think of a name as character, if I told you I'm God on earth, what would you think of me? <laughs> there goes my job. I, I do realize that. <laughs> and uh, so, but you would say there's something wrong with my thinking because why would God have to have a man on earth to be God? Because God is how, where? Everywhere. And he knows Everything. Why would he need a man to play his part? Amen. He doesn't. And when Jesus says it's better that I go, who's he sending in his place? The Holy Spirit. Yes. Isn't that right? That's Christ's true representative, yes. is the Holy Spirit, who can teach us how much truth? Oh. Guide everybody? Absolutely. Yes. But a mere man could never do that. Amen. Okay? I want us to keep thinking about the name. Just... Now take this, the name. And, and we just want the Bible to interpret itself. In Revelation 13, 1, concerning the first beast, the papacy, and upon his name, the name of what? Now, if you have a, a name that's a name of blasphemy, that's a character issue. But why is it a character issue? What is wrong with that? And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and the tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. I want you to turn to John chapter 10, verse 33. John chapter 10, verse 33. Jesus was actually accused of blasphemy. But was he speaking blasphemously? Absolutely not. Jesus never sinned, not even by a thought. But why was he accused of this? John chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou that being a man makest thyself God. So by definition, blasphemy is... What a man claims to be. But was Jesus blasphemously? No, because he is he is the Son of God. Okay? Fully divine. But if a man, and the Jewish leaders were right, if a mere man who is not the Son of God claims to be God, he's speaking. Is this true about the name of Vicarious Philide? The name Vicarious Philide basically means instead of Christ. Christ is gone. I'm Christ here now. I have the authority in the church. And that's why it's the name of blasphemy. Okay? There's another one in the, in the Gospel of Mark. 
the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 7, there's another definition for blasphemy. And we could come up with our own definitions, but that's not what God's asking us to do. He's not asking us to go to other disciplines or other, you know, and find out what, just find out what the Bible says what blasphemy is. In Mark chapter 2, verse 7, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Can, who can forgive sins but God only? So another definition of blasphemy is when a mere man claims to be able to forgive another person of his sins. Now Jesus isn't speaking blasphemously because he is God and he can't forgive sins. Now that doesn't mean you and I shouldn't be forgiving. We should be forgiving, but I can't absolve you of your sins. Okay? You need to go to God for that. Because your sins are against, against God. He's the one who forgives them. Okay? Now, these are going to be some verses in the Bible that support the papacy, believing that it has the authority of God. This we find by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, speaking of the second coming, shall not come except their coming of fallen away first. Now, you can't fall away from the truth unless you once had the truth. A person who's never had the truth doesn't fall away from the truth. He never had it. So he's saying something's going to happen before Jesus comes back. Someone will have had the truth, but they're going to, they're going to fall away from it. They're going to fall away so far that it will create this man of sin, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, sits within the Christian community, showing himself that he is, that he's God. Now, I wish that weren't true, but it is true. And this is why it's the name of blasphemy. Okay, And this fits into the title, Vicarious Feel ID, instead of Christ. They see themselves sitting within the temple of God, the naos, the Christian community, as if they are God. Okay? Yea, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 11, speaking of the papacy, yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. Who's the prince of the host? It is Jesus. So when the papacy is in control, where's Jesus at this time? We could say he's in heaven, but where specifically in heaven? In the heavenly sanctuary. So he's magnifying himself to the prince of the host, but Jesus being in the heavenly sanctuary is functioning as our high priest and our, our mediator. You see, it's true that we need a mediator between us and the Father. Is that right? And the Bible says that there's only what? There's just one, and that is Jesus, because he's the only one who could be the mediator. To be the mediator between God and man, you'd have to actually be both. You'd have to be God and man. You'd have to be God to represent God to man, and you'd have to be a man to represent man back to the Father. And the only one who's fully divine and fully human is Jesus. So when a man steps in that role and he magnifies himself that way, it is blasphemously. It is vicarious philide. Okay? Now, this word magnify in Hebrew actually is a Hebrew word that means that someone is exalting themselves in an illegal, presumptuous, what? 
So when a person claims to be the media between God and man, it's illegal. It's erroneous. It's presumptuous. Okay? That's what that Hebrew word means. Okay? So all of it still fits, doesn't it? Number of a name. And this name adds up to all these things we're reading here. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, He shall speak great words against the Most High and think, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. Why would the little horn power, the papacy, think that it could change time and laws? Is because of, it's because of the name. Vicarious Feli D. Substitute for Christ. Being God on earth. Believing that they could change the law of God because they have the authority of God to do so. Okay? That's all in the name. So it still makes sense. All these things that we're saying, they're all true. I wish they weren't true, but they all are true. Even the name Antichrist, which is applied to the papacy, means substitute for Christ. Now, some Christian circles say Antichrist means atheist. But anti doesn't mean against in the sense of not believing there's a God. Anti means instead of or a substitute of. So Antichrist isn't an atheist living in Eastern Europe, right? Which is what the Left Behind series says, ready to take over the United Nations. Antichrist is just the opposite. Antichrist is someone within this Christian community that's presented itself as a substitute for Christ. Okay? So the summary of the first beast, Pope's title, Vicarious Feel ID, the name, it's the beast, the number of his name, it's a number of a a man, and, and the number 666, that all fits, it all adds up. Now I do want to look at this verse in the Bible. There is a verse in the Bible that actually has the number 666. Do you know that? 1 Kings 10, 14. And now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one week, or I'm sorry, well not one week, but one year, was 603 score and six talents of gold. Isn't that an interesting verse? Uh, six, 666 talents of gold equals 22 metric tons. Yes, I did look this up on the internet. Which has a value of $1 billion as of 2019. So Solomon received these tributes. He had gold come to him that equaled $1 billion every year. That's a lot of money. But unfortunately, he used the money to buy horses, and he used the money to have, I don't remember how many wives, um, but it was over a 1,000. But notice what God said. When the people wanted a king, he says, and he, but he, this king that they wanted, shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that they should multiply horses. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So what could we learn about the number 666 that has to do with the first beast, the papacy, when God tells us not to accumulate wealth because it, it it will affect us? And we'll wind up doing things we really shouldn't be doing. That doesn't mean you can't have a 401k. That's not what we're talking about. We're we're talking about massing wealth. Now notice this from Great Controversy. Vowed to perpetual poverty and humility, speaking of the papacy, it was their studied aim to secure wealth and power to be devoted to the overthrow of Protestantism and the reestablishment of the papal supremacy. 
You see, if you want to have worldwide control, what do you need? You need money. How much money? Oh, you need a lot of money. I mean, just look at these political campaigns. There's a lot of money being spent. You say, oh, my goodness. If that money was spent, there's a lot of money out there, friends. There's a lot of money being spent right now to destroy Protestantism. There's a lot of money being spent to create a new old order. It takes a lot of money to do it. Now, does the Bible talk about the papacy actually getting this money? In Daniel chapter 11, verse 43, But he, speaking of the king of the north, the papacy, shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians, Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Now, Pastor Ray DiCarlo was here, and he went through these verses with you, right? And Egypt in this verse is not talking about a literal Egypt, but Egypt symbolically representing representing the world in this passage, okay? Because Egypt could be interpreted symbolically as two different things. One is atheism, you're right, but the other is the world. So when Egypt wouldn't allow God's people to go out and freely worship him, they experienced how many plagues? Ten. Because that history is going to be repeated. When the world doesn't allow God's people to have the freedom to worship, they're going to be hit by seven last plagues. So what happened to Egypt is just a microcosm of what's going to happen in the world for doing the exact same thing. Not allowing God's people to have freedom of conscience. Freedom to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience. Okay? And the plagues will fall. This tells me that in the end of time, because this is the last day verse, there's going to come a time when the world loses her precious things. Now if you think the economy is weak now, Wait. Because this is talking about a time when the world doesn't allow God's people to freely worship Him. What's going to happen to the world economy? It's going to collapse. And who comes out on top? Papacy. Is that what that's saying? It's exactly what it's saying. So this does kind of still fit in, doesn't it? It all fits. But this prosperity is short-lived. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company, and ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is that great city? They cast dust on their heads, and cried weeping and wailing. So right when the church thinks that it has control of the world, economically, religiously, What happens? It all falls apart. Because guess who's coming? Christ is coming. And before he comes, there's seven. And you know what these guys are weeping about? Their money. Is there a problem there? Jesus is on his way. And they're crying about their money. You see where the world's mind is? It's all about money. That's the God of this world. And we've got to be careful. We've got to put more and more into what? God's work. Time's short, friends. Time is short. Now, we know that ships in the Bible represent economics. Look at this, Psalm 107, verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. And that's why 
you had the collapse of the economy, talking about ships and sailors. Because in ancient times, if you were a wealthy nation, you had, you had to have ships and great waters to take your goods from here to other parts of the world, right? And if you had that, like Spain and France and England and all these nations that became great because they could take their goods throughout the whole world. Seas and ships represent wealth. Now, that's the first view. Put your seatbelts on. Here's the second view. And the reason I looked at this is out of respect to James White. James White was the husband of He was the editor of the Review, one of our great pioneers, one of the people in the world who knew his Bible better than just about anybody else. That doesn't mean that everything he wrote or everything he believed was true. You still got to test. You still got to be a Berean. Okay? But his opinion was that the number of the beast didn't apply to the papacy. It applied to the United States, Protestant America. Notice what he says here. This last power that treads down the saints is brought to view in Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Which power is that? The second beast, not first beast. His number is. Isn't that interesting? And you know, I've known that statement for quite a few years. But I didn't really do anything with it till I saw this statement. This is from Sister White. I saw all that would not receive the mark of the beast and of his image in their foreheads or in their hands could not buy and sell. That's true. I saw that the number of the image beast, which one's the image beast? That's the second beast. I saw that the number of the image beast was, was made up. Now, we're going to look at the word made up because that might help us understand what it means to count something. To count the number of the beasts is to understand how that number is going to be made up. Okay, we're going to look at that. And that it was the beast, the papacy, that changed the Sabbath. Is that true? Amen. And the image beast, the second beast, had followed on after. Is that true? Yes. Apostate process. They've taken Sunday and kept the popes and not God's Sabbath. That's a true statement. Yes. But it's different. It's a different interpretation of... The number. Do you see that? Yes. Now, the word made up. You know, if you get on Google, and I did this, you Google made up, you know what the first thing is? Yeah, made up, man. I got the cosmetics, you know. I made myself up. But I'm sure that's not what Ellen White's talking about. It's not talking about cosmetics. And the next thing would be something fictitious. Fictitious. It's, it's made up. It's not real. It's not true. It's fabricated. And I didn't come up with the word trumped up. It's actually there, okay? False. Imaginary, okay? It's, it's made up. But when she says the number is made up, I don't think she's meaning it's a false number. It's a real number. It's not unreal. It's very real. Okay? But that leaves the third option to understand the word, the words made up. And that is that all the parts come together. 
You see, the number of the beast being the second beast, you see, the second beast is made of how many parts? Many. How many Protestant churches are there? There's a whole bunch of them. And there's a lot of things they have to do. They've got to pass the Sunday law. They've got to enforce it. They've got to reach not just across the Gulf. They, they can't just bring in Protestants. They've got to reach across the Gulf and grasp the hand of the papacy. That's another part. They've got to reach across the Gulf and grasp the hand of spiritualism. That's another part. Because notice the context. All these various parts have to come together. Because if they don't come together, if they're not made up, we can still buy and sell. Do you realize that? We still have freedom. But we're going to lose our freedom when the second beast number comes together. The sum total of all those parts are added up. Okay? Let's go on. Now, these, these statements from Revelation 13 tell us how the second beast number is being made up. Force. And causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. You see, when I think of the word count, but it, if it's not asked me to count a bunch of numbers, but calculate what's happening, to see a number being made up. And I'm watching, you know, if I saw this happening right now, if I saw the United States causing the whole earth to worship the first beast, what do I know? It won't be long and we're not going to be able to buy and sell. You bet. When I see that part happen, but it hasn't happened yet. But the Bible says it's going to happen. This country will cause the whole world to form an image to the beast and to worship the beast, to cause everybody to pass a Sunday law. And when you see that, you know that not long you won't be able to buy and sell. And you need to calculate that. You need to count that. Because the time's coming when you can't put food on your table and gas in your car because of this second beast. And you have to make up your mind. Well, I still trust God. See, a lot of people, most people in the end of time, aren't going to trust God. They're going to take the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. Just so they can buy and sell. Deception. Revelation 13, 14. He deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. That's another part. These apostate Protestants can't just get everybody to pass a law. They're going to have to do what? They have to deceive them through false miracles. You see, that's an important part. And without spiritualism, without all these healing lines and people walking up, and then the world said, oh, that must be the truth. The Sunday movement must be true because look at them heal all those people. If you take that part out, People don't get caught up into this. But when people believe in the immortality of the soul and they see all these different things kind of happening, that's another part. And when you see that happen, you know you're not far away. 
and be able to buy and sell. And you've got to calculate that. I'm not going to trust. Between now and then, knowing this is going to happen, I, I see the parts out there. You see, I see the parts. There is false miracles taking place already. False visions. It's already happening. But the second beast hasn't caused everybody to make an image yet. But how long will that take? Wow. The parts are there. This is about it all being made up. Okay? But here's the thing about force and deception. This is Satan's two-pronged attack. He always uses force and deception. Daniel chapter 3, to get the whole world to worship the golden image, the first thing he uses is deception. A golden image, 60 cubits high, 6 wide, appealing to the senses. The six instruments that are being played to sway people. False music, false worship, swaying people to worship the image. He gets the leaders together. You see, these are all different parts, aren't they? He couldn't just play music. He had to do another part. He had to get all the leaders, all the captains, to do what? Get them to bow down. Because if they bow down, everybody else is going to bow down. You see, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have just done one part. He had to pull all the parts together. And when all those parts come together, you've got three young men who don't bow. And what's everybody else doing? They're bowing. But you see, they saw the steady trend of events. They were calculating. And they realized that if we bow to this image, we're lost. And if we don't bow, we're thrown in a fiery furnace. But you know something? And they calculated this. What is man? If we put our faith in the Creator, and even if the world takes away our food and water, who created the food? Who created the water? Who took two hydrogen molecules and an oxygen, whipped them together, and created oceans? Man can't do that. God can. That's nothing for God. We're going to have to start calculating. Putting our trust in God every day, friends. Between now and when we can't buy and sell. Trust, trust, trust. This is why you're a Sabbath keeper. Because when men take away bread and water, so what? The Creator made the bread and water. That's part of keeping the Sabbath. That's the Sabbath principle. Man never created this world. He created a mess. But he didn't create anything out of nothing. Is this true? It absolutely is true. The other thing, you do have the number 666 in Daniel 3. You have an image that's 60 high and 6 wide, and they played how many instruments? Six instruments, okay. Anyway. Notice what else happens. And cause that as many as would not worship the image beast should be killed and that no man might buy or sell. These are all important parts. You can't just jump to a death decree, but before a death decree, you can't buy and sell. And before that, there'll be other kinds of penalties. It's all part of the parts. It's all leading up. It's all being made up. Okay? Okay. 
all being made up. Now, let's read some from the spirit of prophecy how all this is being put together. When the leading churches of the United States united upon such points of doctrine are held by them, plural, in common, the various parts, shall influence the state to enforce the decrees and to sustain their institutions, then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. When Protestant churches, plural, the various parts, unite with the secular power, another part, and sustain a false religion, there will be a national apostasy which will lead to national ruin. And God's saying, here's the mind that hath wisdom. Count, calculate. Understand the steady movement of things. I'm not asking you to count numbers. I'm asking you to look at the signs of the times and see where we're at. Are we near? Okay. We don't know the day or hour, but we know we're near. Notice the parts. And who is the emphasis on? It's the Protestants. It's not climate changers. You see what I'm saying? We've got to be careful. It's always this. This, there's only two beasts that this number could apply to. It's either the papacy or these Protestants. There's not a third option here. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf, the grasp the hand of the Roman power. Has that already happened? Absolutely. Man, these guys have, they're not protesting anymore. They've clearly reached across the gulf already. When she shall reach over the abyss to clasp the hands of what? Mercy. When, under the influence of this threefold union, when this threefold union finally comes together, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant or Republican government and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Then we may know. Then we'll know. Because it's all adding up. It's all being made up. Then we'll know that the time has come for what to happen. Satan himself. Satan himself pretending to be Christ himself. Oh, I'm telling you, friends. And when that happens, you're not too far away from not being able to buy and sell. As America, the land of religious liberty, shall unite with the papacy, enforcing the conscience and compelling men to honor the false Sabbath, the people of every country on the globe will be led to follow her example. Wow. Notice the emphasis again. Protestantism shall give the hand of fellowship to the Roman power. The professed Protestant world, the various parts will form a confederacy with the man of sin. Romanism in the old and apostate Protestantism in the new. Then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy. That's the emphasis. It's the second beast here. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power. Now, I want to share with you quickly here, who are these Protestants? Who are the Protestants that are reaching across the gulf? Who are the Protestants who would want to pass a Sunday law and inflict civil penalties on people who don't agree with them? Have you heard of dominion theology? A dominionist. Number one, this is their words here. Satan usurped man's dominion over the earth through the temptation of Adam and Eve. Is that true? Absolutely. 
The church is God's instrument to take dominion back from Satan. <laughs> Number three, Jesus cannot or will not return until the church has taken dominion by gaining control of the earth's governmental and social institutions. And that, friend, is false. Jesus is not waiting for us to set up a temporal kingdom. That's exactly why the Jews rejected Jesus, who said, my kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom shall be in you. It doesn't matter whether it's Muslim or Catholic or Protestant. If you get caught up in setting up a temple kingdom on earth, you're already looking at things in the wrong way. And you will legitimize everything you do to gain that power. But that power only corrupts. That doesn't mean you don't stand for issues. That's important. God's people stand, take a stand for truth. But you can't force your religion on other people. We can have moral laws in this country against same-sex marriage and um, abortion and things like that, but you can't have religious laws. There's a difference between a moral law and a religious law. A moral law is a law that has to do with the relationship between people. You can't murder them. You can't steal from them. That would be that would be wrong. But a religious law has to do with your relationship with, with God. And that, the state, should have nothing to say. Okay? That's what these people believe. Dominionists... It's going to sound political. I don't mean to sound political. Are the core center of Trump's administration, friends. And I'm not going to name all the names that are part of that, but they're all dominionists. They all believe this stuff. Here's dominionist stuff, too. The kingdom of God was inaugurated, and the king was installed and seated in the first century A.D., and we may not wait for the king's second coming to get the kingdom started here on earth. See, friends, that's temporal kingdom again. That's wrong stuff. Number four, at this moment of history, all humans on earth, whether Jew or Gentile, believer or unbeliever, private person or public official, are obligated to bow their knees to this King Jesus, confess him as Lord of the universe with their tongues, and submit to his lordship over every aspect of their lives and thought, word, and deed. And I agree with that, except it has to be done by faith. Because anything that isn't of faith is sin. You cannot legislate someone's faithfulness to Christ. Number five. Biblical evangelism, according to the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, is not truly accomplished unless that message of Christ's lordship from point number four above is given to the person being evangelized so that they know that an attempt at personal neutrality before King Jesus is sin and treason in this universe. Well, that's like causing everybody to take the mark on the hand or the forehead. There is no, what? There's no neutrality. In the end of time, for these people, there will be no neutrality. If they get the power, friends, they will make sure you either take the mark on your head, your forehead, or your hand. You either take it voluntarily or... But you will take it. And if you don't take it, you can't 
by himself. You see how that works? This is scary stuff. There's a lot of evil powers in the world, friends. I'm not saying this is the only evil. There's a lot. There's a thousand evil powers. But the Bible focuses on these two. The papacy and these apostate Protestants. Because them together are going to influence people's eternal destiny more than anybody else in this world. And that doesn't mean there aren't other organizations that we don't stand for that can mislead people too. But not as much as these two. Okay? Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't say, oh, there it is. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God, it's got to be within you. It's not about governors and senators. It's the kingdom inside you, those, those principles that prepares you to live in his eternal kingdom when he recreates a new earth. And there's a new Jerusalem, and you got new bodies. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but what? It's righteousness. It's not political power. It's righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when he would talk about the kingdom, he would have thousands of people out there to preach to. And in every group, whether it was 10 people or 10,000 people, he could have pointed out their sins. But you know what he did instead? He said, the kingdom's like this. And the kingdom's like this. You know, the kingdom is likened to a man which sowed good seed. And so the people who were sinners out there listening, instead of Jesus condemning them, he was telling them what the kingdom's like. And they'd say, oh, well, if the kingdom's like that, then I need to be like this. Right? Then they could see their sins and realize they need to get, if I'm going to be part of a kingdom and allow his good seed of the word to bear fruit in my life, I have to have what kind of soil? Good soil. Not thorny soil. Not hard soil. It's good soil. All furrowed up by the work of the Holy Spirit. We see. Kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Oh, Father, just go ahead and start planting those mustard seeds because I know there's power in your word and as that little mustard seed grows, what, how big does it get? Oh, it starts taking over my life. Just like leaven in bread. It leavens the what? The whole loaf. That's the kingdom. The kingdom's not about geopolitics, friends. Not in an old world that's just about ready to be destroyed by seven last plagues. Gary North, one of the movement's ideological founders, made this goal clear. A Bible-based social, political, and religious order were finally the, which finally denies the religious liberty of the... If you're not with them... And if you're not with him, you're going to lose your rights, friends. In a public policy polling survey released February 24, 2015, an astonishing 50% of Republicans favored abandoning the Constitution to make the United States a Christian nation. Only 30% are opposed, and 13%, I'm not sure. Do you know why? That, you see, this wouldn't have been true 100 years ago. Do you know why this is true today? Dominion theology is being preached in all these evangelical churches. And all these evangelical churches say, you know, Jesus is going to come back until we control the government. Jesus isn't going to come back until we control economics. Jesus isn't going to come back until we control the media and entertainment and education and the family. Until we control all of it, Jesus isn't coming back. That's what they believe. And so now you've got all these people listening to this and they're thinking, oh, 
Would I rather follow the Constitution or have a Christian nation? No, they want a Christian nation. But they have no idea what they're saying there. Because our Constitution was, in fact, a Christian document in this way. Do you know that in our Constitution, God's name's not even mentioned? And religion's only mentioned twice in our Constitution. First Amendment. Congress shall pass no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Meaning that Congress can't even touch the subject of religion. You can't pass laws on religion. That's not for you. That's between God and a person. And the only other mention of religion in the Constitution is it doesn't matter. You can run for public office. It doesn't matter what your religion is. You could be a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian. It doesn't matter. You don't need to profess even a religion at all. Religion is not a test for public office. The only two times religion is mentioned in the Constitution. Are we culturally predominantly Christian? Yes. Were the people who came here as pilgrims predominantly Christian? But you know those pilgrims would have never given anybody in this room religious liberty. There would have been no religious liberty for a Seventh-day Adventist or a Catholic or a Baptist because they didn't offer religious liberty to groups like us, just to themselves. It took over 100 years, 200 years, from the time they landed on Plymouth Rock for there to be our First Amendment rights. It took time. America was growing, learning about religious freedom. When James Madison was in Virginia at the time of the Revolution, a Baptist preacher sitting right there in the jail of Orange, Virginia. Why? Because he didn't have permission from the Presbyterian church to preach. That's at the time of the Revolution, friends. Imagine the miracle of our First Amendment. It says, you know, forget that stuff. Congress has nothing to say about the subject of religion. And that's best for Christianity. Because if you force Christianity on people, you won't be able to send out any more missionaries around the world. Who's going to want them? And that's exactly what James Madison said. You want to do mission work? Freedom. Because Christianity will prove in every free and open debate that it's the what? True religion. So you don't need to force it. Because it is true. It's because it's the true religion we give liberty to every religion. Equal speech, freedom of the press. And that's the way it should be. And that's what the First Amendment means. This is an interesting quote. I know I need to finish here, don't I? Notice this. This is so important. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. These words sum up the whole duty of man. They mean the consecration of the whole body or being body, soul, and spirit to God's what? His service. How can men obey these words and at the same time pledge themselves to support that which deprives their neighbors of the freedom of action. Freedom of religion, right? How can you? Because you can't. And how can men obey these words, the great golden rule, and form combinations that rob the poorer classes of the advantages which justly belong to them, preventing them from what? Buying and selling, except under certain conditions. You see, the only way to live the golden golden rule is you can't force religion on people. 
And if they don't worship the way you worship, they worship on the wrong day and you have economic penalties, you can't buy and sell, how can you possibly keep the golden rule, which is the whole duty of man, and you deprive your neighbor of the opportunity to worship God freely or to be able to support their families with food? It doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. But that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. There's going to come a time when the second beast, and it's all going to be made up when all these parts come together, God's people won't be able to... And yet they're still going to think this is God's movement because there's miracles, false ones, being performed by them. They're in control. They have all this power and money. But the reality is, the golden rule isn't in the heart. And if the golden rule isn't there, there's no eternal salvation, friends. You can't hate your brother and say you love God. It's just not possible. There's a lot of other things here. I know we've got to close. I've already gone over. But maybe next time I'm here, we talk a little bit about, more about the number. It's all true. Vicarious Feel ID does add up to 666. The papacy is a beast power. It's true. It thinks it's God on earth has that authority. But you know, the second beast, all of that I said is true too. And I just want to encourage you to watch this steady stream of events. Because... We have to start counting. Meaning, do you know what the other, and I'll just close with this. The other meaning of the word count means to cast a vote. You see, in the end of time, you're going to have to cast your vote. And I'm not talking about November 3rd. You're going to have to cast a vote on the seal of God versus the mark of the beast. You're going to have to cast a vote. You're going to have to count it. You have to count it. Calculate it. And do you know this word for count? This specific Greek word for count is only mentioned one other time in the New Testament. And when you're building a house, you've got to count the costs. You see, he's not talking about counting nails and boards. He's talking about, if you're going to follow me, you've got to give me your whole heart. Amen. That's the cost. You've got to count. You've got to calculate this. Because in the end of time, you're going to be forced in this situation where you're either going to wander after the beast so that you can, or you're going to trust me. You want to calculate that. That God keeps his promises, and he's already promised that our... Bread and water is sure. Is this true? Amen. It's got to be all part of your calculation. You take the promises, you see what's happening in the world, you see what's going to happen prophetically, and already you're heading into saying, you know, no matter what happens to me personally, I've already counted the costs. Even if I lose my home, I lose my life, I will. I've calculated it. I'm still going to take my stand for Christ and his Sabbath and all truth, I'm not going to be caught into these false miracles, this false theology, this false Sabbath. Truth 
You've calculated it, and you're going to cast your vote on the side of Christ. Before we have our closing hymn, or our closing prayer, we have our closing hymn, right? At this time, we're going to have a closing hymn, which is 626. In a little while, we're going home. And if you would please stand when you find it. 626. Song that will cheer us.
Our Father, we know that the storm approaches, but we're nearing home. Father, help us to remain strong, courageous, and not so much dwell on the things here on earth, but on our home in heaven. That we may see that brighter day coming in which there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. So help us, Father, to calculate the costs and cast our vote each day on your side. To be that son and daughter awaiting the soon return of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for every promise that you have made. And help us claim them and have faith and receive them and own them. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name.